Oh my God, it's time for episode number 50 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. And today we talk about divorce, children, and therapy. Stay tuned for this one. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. Well, hello there, and welcome to yet another episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lavoy, and today we have a great episode. My guest is Dr. Shara Shevitz. She is a licensed psychologist specializing in love and relationships, and she's the founder of the successful online psychology practice, Couples Learn. She's been working with couples and individuals to improve their love lives for over 10 years now. Dr. Sarah has been featured in outlets such as CNN, Reader's Digest, and Women's Health, Bravo TV, Self, and more. Let's have a great conversation, and let me introduce to you Dr. Sarah. Dr. Sarah, so good to have you on the show. Thanks for being a guest. Thanks for having me. So I always start off uh, the show asking my guests, you know, in case people aren't familiar with you, you know, give me uh, the short short of like who you are and how you got to this point. So I'm a licensed psychologist in California, and I have an online therapy practice where I work in the area of love and relationships. And how I got to this point was probably a long string of things, but I think personally why relationship therapy was so interesting to me and just the area of love and relationships in general is growing up in a home with a lot of conflict. I felt like relationships were really hard or um, maybe even a little scary. And so learning about how to have healthy relationships felt really empowering for me. And I wanted to, you know, there's a lot of people out there who grew up in not great homes with unhealthy models for love. And so it's really great to be able to help people shift that. Without getting too personal, and if I am, just tell me to zip it, but (laughs) were your parents divorced or did they stay married? They are still married, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. but the relationship probably isn't the best. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has their own view of their own relationship and I'm not in the relationship, but for my view, it wouldn't be what I chose. Listen, I can relate. I, I come from, I think, a similar set of uh, circumstances. I'm the middle of three brothers. My parents are married uh, 50-something years. I, I should know it, but I never know it. That's a long <laughs> I, know time I know it's a lot. Um, <laughs> and I don't think they really listen to this, so I feel somewhat comfortable saying it. Like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, there's a chance my mom will listen to this. <laughs> Between you and me, <laughs> they shouldn't really be married. <laughs> Yeah. And it's I, been know, like that since we were all young, you know, it's like, it's not a secret. Um, but, and I think they stayed together for various reasons. You know, my mom would probably tell you for the children, which I don't think is a good reason to stay together. You can give me your yeah. thoughts on that as a relationship expert. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, right. They, they're, they're, I don't know. They, they, they're happy being unhappy. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Well, they're comfortable being unhappy. And I think that's the difference. There's happiness and then there's comfort. Um, But yeah, I actually would love to speak about that piece of staying together for the kids because research has shown um, that is not always the best choice for the children. 
if you're growing up in a high conflict home, it causes a lot of trauma for a child and it causes a lot of attachment issues and relationship issues later in life because again, the model of what you kind of, we all kind of have a love template or um, a blueprint of what love is in our minds. And that's largely developed by how you're loved by your parents or caretakers if you weren't raised by your parents, but also how you saw them in relationship with each other or with step parents, whoever they were in relationship with. All of that kind of accumulates in your unconscious mind. And then when you go looking for a partner, you unconsciously are seeking that type of relationship. So if you grew up in a really tumultuous home with a lot of high conflict, you're probably going to have some pretty high conflict relationships until you work on that childhood wounding. Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking about myself. I think I might've lucked out somewhat, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it's, it's hard because you, the people that you model, uh, are the people that are around you the most, right? Yeah. So your parents, obviously, and your family. So you have that family dynamic that you grew up with. And if it's a bad environment, like, is there a age where it becomes, you know, even more detrimental to a child uh, for the future versus, you know, they can kind of work through it? I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense. And I don't think there is an age because we develop a lot of our unconscious programming from, you know, the age zero to six or seven. So even when they're little and you think they can't understand what's going on, they do. It's really getting stored in their unconscious and kind of in their uh, tissues. Our trauma gets stored in our body. So maybe they don't have words or they don't have conscious memories of what they went through. But if somebody starts yelling as an adult, they might have this trauma reaction where they're suddenly in fight or flight mode. And it's like, whoa, why am I freaking out so bad? Well, probably because from the age of zero to two, you were around people yelling and maybe even getting physically violent and you don't have conscious memories of it, but it's triggering this stored trauma response in you. So yeah, yeah, there's not really a great, and even if you think about, okay, maybe high conflict, lots of fighting, that's obvious that it's not healthy for a child, but neither is watching really passive aggressive energy or unhealthy communication where nobody's talking about things, but it's clear you could cut the tension with a knife. Like all of that is unhealthy and just kind of ask yourself, what am I teaching my child about relationships? And what am I teaching my child about how partners treat each other. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, and I know we're kind of steering away from what we originally were going to talk about, but we'll get there. Okay. Yeah, we'll <laughs> meander over. Fine yeah. But like, this is important and, and I think it's really good and it's not talked about often enough, I think. So conflict, you, you know, you brought up passive aggressive. Um, if you have parents that choose to, I guess, handle their conflict. I mean, everybody, every relationship has conflict. And I always say, you tell me what you think. Conflict in and of itself is not what's bad. It's how you handle the conflict. You're exactly right. Okay. Ooh, I, I'm, I'm doing good so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, but people who handle, if you have two parents who handle their conflict in a passive aggressive manner, 
the children are either consciously or consciously absorbing that, right? Yeah. And how do how do you I guess what's your advice for the parents on not only handling their conflict the right way, but uh, teaching their children to understand what's going on and that, you know, mommy and daddy maybe had a fight. It's okay, but this is how we get through it. Like what would you, so you don't really damage the the kids in the future. So um, child development experts say, if you fight in front of the kids, you should make up in front of the kids. And that kind of teaches the whole cycle. Otherwise they might learn that when you fight, it just magically fixes itself and then everything's fine. And then you raise children who don't address conflict and don't try to fix it. Um, so, you, you know, you don't have to have the whole knockdown drag out fight in front of them or even the whole conversation in front of them. Cause much of it may not be appropriate. Right. But you could say, um, and again, this depends on age, but let's say it's a little kid. Mommy and daddy had a fight earlier in front of you and we recognize you were probably scared and it, we had some hurt feelings, but we just want you to know that we talked about it and we feel much better now. And we both said, we're sorry. And we're, you know, we love each other and we're going to hug each other and maybe even ask them, did you have any feelings about that? that you want to talk about? Right. Yeah. I, I've, I've noticed, um, especially with my, my daughter, she's almost six now mm-hmm. and I can already identify you know, we, we try not to like have really strong disagreements, my wife and I in front of her, but sometimes it's just hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be yeah. honest. Especially in quarantine. Let's be real. <laughs> right. Especially in quarantine. Yeah. We're, we're making it through really well, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> we're home all the time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. And um, so like I've noticed my daughter saying, like she'll pick a side, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whoever she feels is is right. And then she'll start like, tag teaming the other parent you know and so if she takes my side she'll start like talking back to mom and then that diverts to everything in a good way in a sense that it it's like whoa, whoa. it's like don't talk to mom that way you know mm-hmm. um and then i have to defend mom and kind of explain that right that's not how we fight like that's not what's going on here um right so but it's an interesting dynamic that kids really absorb so much right and so as well, the parents, I guess you have to just be cognizant of that. You do. Yeah. And just don't underestimate how much they're absorbing. I think parents do that a lot. Oh, they're, they're watching the iPad. They're not paying attention. Right. They hear you. They hear you. <laughs> and they feel the energy. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole here, but like, do you work with kids too? Mm-mm. Okay. No, uh, but. As far as when it comes to attachment in adult relationships, it all relates back to your childhood. So I'm very well versed in how childhood wounding shows up in adult relationships. So even though I don't work with kids, I can tell you from all the couples I work with what their childhood experience was that led to the way that they are today. So it's kind of a backtracking of like, don't do this in front of the kids because here's what happens as adults. Right. If you want to, I don't have a crystal ball, but I could tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, because, you know, I'm wondering, like, at what point are the, is a child damaged uh, to the point where it would, it will affect them when they grow up, you know? Oh, well, you can't do, you cannot 
come out clean. There's no way that you're not going to do something that's going to damage your kids. So just, <laughs> just alleviate that guilt right now. You're going to screw something up. <laughs> oh, I, I, I definitely um, already know that. Yeah. And so that's, that's a given, but again, it's how you clean it up afterwards. I think like how you model, because just like you said earlier, it's not conflict. That's a problem. It's how you handle it. So modeling how to handle it and how to really reconnect after conflict, that's how you build a secure attachment. There's different, there's four different attachment styles that children can develop in how they attach to their caretakers. And that has a huge impact on how you show up in relationships later in life. And we keep uh, the, we kind of keep maintaining the same attachment style unless we do work on it. And one of the cornerstones of creating a secure attachment, which is the ideal, is to handle, you know, after conflict, you feel closer. So you really clean up what happened. You treat your partner with respect or your child with respect and you heal the hurt. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. One of the things I try to do with my daughter is, you know, after she has a fight with either myself or mom, you know, give her some time and then have a conversation about, you know, what was that all about? You know, you know, what were you really feeling? And then, you know, set expectations and and make up. Um, Yeah. And make sure that she knows she's loved even when you're fighting. That's a big piece, right? Sometimes our love comes across as conditional. And when we're angry, we don't um, reassure a child that we still love them. And so they feel because kids have a different type of thinking than adults do just developmentally. They, number one, they have magical thinking. So they think they're the cause of everything and they're very egotistical. So they think they're the cause of everything. And that's, it's not in a mean way, that's just developmentally appropriate for kids. So if, you know, if they see, this is probably why your daughter's jumping in. If they see mom and dad fight, some part of her is like, oh gosh, I did this. I can control this. I can change this. So number one, this is my fault, especially if you're fighting about her. And then number two, I have the power to change it, right? So that's just naturally how a child is going to think, which is why she's taking on the responsibility. And so we kind of have to, as as adults, say, we got this. This has nothing to do with you. Don't worry. You didn't do anything. You're so loved. We're love. We love each other also. And sometimes people who love each other get in fights and that's okay. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, You know, it's funny in people getting divorced. I know there's a common theme where, especially in younger children, they of course feel like it's their fault. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sounds like it kind of goes to what you were saying about, it's all about them, you know? And, and so it's so important for the message to be conveyed, you know, if there is a divorce that no, it's not their fault. And, you know, it's just something that, that happens and mm-hmm. um, mommy and daddy both love you and, and all that stuff. Um, which kind of brings me back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. And, you know, it's not, I think we're both on the same page where a bad relationship should not, you shouldn't stay in a really toxic relationship for the children. That shouldn't be the reason. Correct. Right? So, You're actually hurting them more by doing that. Right. So then the, the, uh, going through a, a divorce, even, a, you know, a, I call it a contested divorce, you know, where it's, there might be some nastiness to it. 
at the end of the day, children are resilient. And if you can set up the right post-divorce lifestyle, they will survive mm-hmm. and flourish. Mm-hmm. Does, that, yeah. does that sound right? Yeah. Um, children are less resilient than we think, though. That was kind of a teaching from... Um, I don't know when, but like back in the fifties, there was this belief that kids can get through anything and they don't really need a lot of support or guidance or emotional talk. And, and they'll just figure it out on their own and forget everything by the time they're adults. So that we know now is not true. And kids are definitely not as resilient as we think. So that doesn't mean don't do it. It just means talk to them about their feelings, get them into therapy, make sure they have support. Um, because they aren't just, even though they might seem really happy and playing and, and all life seems normal to them, they hide it well, which is why we think children are more resilient than they are. Yeah. The support network is, is vital, um, for the child in in a way. So I agree wholeheartedly there. Yeah. Um, Wow. See, I don't know how we got on this whole line, but I know, but it is important stuff. Well, because it's, it so ties into adult relationships. So I can, again, that, that early attachment is crucial for how your kids are going to be in relationship later. Yeah. And I guess the only way to see how well you did as a parent is, you know, to fast forward time and hopefully you see then what happens with your child and how they handle relationships. And then, and then you'll know, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but by then it's it's a little late, but it's never too late for therapy. I was going to say you can still just pay for their therapy and ease your guilt. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I think everybody should be in therapy. Right? Yeah. But um I've always believed that. My, you know, my wife sometimes will ask me like, "Oh, you know, f- for my birthday or the holidays, you know, what do you want?" And I said, "Just give me some therapy." <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's like, how many, how many sessions? No, I'm like, I'm like, no, a couple of years at least. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh no, that's not in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's true. Like everybody needs, you know, just, it's a good outlet, right. To have that objective professional um, on your side. And maybe that's a kind of a good segue into the next topic. You know, I always talk about when people are getting divorced and, and they're going through a traumatic time in their life, you want to surround yourself with the right people um, to support you. And that can include family and friends, of course. But I, I call, you know, I call it the trifecta of awesomeness in regarding your divorce team, um, which usually com- is comprised of an attorney, coach, and a therapist as the three base uh, models. And because I, Talk a little bit, if you can, about like how important it is to have a, an objective therapist on your side when you're going through a traumatic event like a divorce. It's so important because, number one, you can just vent without it going anywhere, um, whereas with friends, and also you don't want to burden friends and family constantly with, with talking and talking and talking about your divorce. So on that side of things, it's just helpful to have somebody who will listen and not, you know, and not change their opinion about that person. Cause God forbid you get back together after you've dragged your spouse through the mud, <laughs> then you're really going to have a hard time because your friends and family hate your spouse at that point. Remember what you said? About- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so on that front, it's great, but 
if you are getting divorced, there's a lot of lessons to learn throughout that. And a good therapist, especially an attachment-based therapist who really understands love and relationships and specializes in that is going to help you find the childhood wounding that led to the failure in this relationship and help you heal that so that you don't get into the same relationship again. Because if you don't heal the wounding that brought you into this relationship in the first place and caused it to devolve in the way it did, you will attract a similar partner and create a similar dynamic with just a different set of circumstances. Exactly. And I'm so glad you you brought that up because that can take time. Yeah. Right? I know everybody's different, but what typically, like with the people that you work with, what's a general framework for working through that type of a, you know, a path. Um, so you are ready for that next healthy, ideally healthy relationship. I mean, are you talking two months or are you talking more than a year? Definitely more than two months. Um, I'd say again, it depends on it. it there's so many factors here. Uh, it depends on how much trauma there is in your past, how aware you are of it. Have you done therapeutic work in the past? And now we're just working on the next layer of it. Um, There's multiple layers to all of this. So you might go to therapy for something, work through it fully at that point. And then during a breakup realize, oh my gosh, I still created all the same circumstances in this relationship, even though I thought I healed that stuff. Let me go back and do more work on it. Let me look a little deeper. So I'd say plan a minimum a year, but I don't know. It could be six months. It could be yeah, everybody's three years. Different. Yeah. But I guess my point in bringing that up was that there's no, there's no quick fix. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, you really have to put in the work. And I think people are often, you know, especially nowadays, everybody wants like that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they don't want to, you know, I had to put in a year. What are you kidding me? But like, yeah, like if you yeah. really want to improve and not make the same mistakes again, it could easily take a year. Right. And consistently. That's right. not like once a month or every couple of weeks. I maybe go, maybe don't like you're going consistently weekly or every other week and really digging in and getting comfortable and learning about yourself. It takes a while to even get that level of comfort with a therapist. Exactly. And and you have to make it part of your lifestyle. Um, Yeah. Like going to the gym, like I'm going to therapy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And the connection too, I agree with you. Like a lot of people, I don't, I mean, I'm sure you hear this a lot more often than I hear it. And I hear it a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, you say, well, have you tried therapy? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I went, you know, two, three times. I didn't like the person. And so I stopped. What did you try to find somebody else? No. Like a therapist, just like anybody else, I'll equate it to like my line of work, you know, as an attorney, you know, you might not like one attorney, but you got to find one that you kind of connect with. And I think that's even more important for a therapist because you're talking about your most interpersonal issues. Everybody's different. So you want to find somebody who you do feel some sort of a connection with, right? You do. Yeah. And I think, Three to four, maybe five sessions is probably a good um, amount of time to try, especially if you tend to be a little bit 
resistant to going to those deeper emotional places, um, you're a little bit emotionally avoidant, you're just going to take longer to warm up to anybody. And it's so uncomfortable to really dig into that emotional stuff with a stranger when you're emotionally avoidant. Um, so yeah, give it, give it time. And then a lot of times when I hear that they were going for somebody based on price or based on whether they were in their insurance network. And this, it really sucks that this is the case, but it is, you get what you pay for with therapy. And if you're going to work on relationship stuff, you have to go to somebody who specializes in relationship stuff, not a bunch of things. You know, if you look at their website and they're specializing in anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar relationships, you know, it's just thrown in the mix. No, they're not an expert. You like really make sure that that is their soul or one of their biggest focuses. And those people have higher level of training and they charge more and, and they get really can get you there. Yeah. So. It's a, um, it's a specialty like relationships. Yeah. You know, like family law for lawyers. It's a specialty. Yeah. You can get a general lawyer who does a little bit of everything. And I'm not saying that they would be a bad divorce attorney, but there are people who that's all they do. Um, so they, you know, have the most information and, and you know, probably you want to steer towards something, somebody like that. If you have a, you know, a contentious divorce. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that might be partly what leads to people not finding a good um, connection with the therapist is therapist just isn't that knowledgeable on their issue. It's not their main area of study. And then of course, personality fit is very important. Yeah. And you know, I think you brought it up and not to gloss over it. I think the insurance is a kind of a, a big issue because therapists who don't take insurance, you know, there's a reason why they don't take insurance. I guess they don't have to take insurance, right? Because they have enough clients who are paying them uh, their regular rate. And there's a reason why people are are paying that type of money for their services. They're probably pretty good at it. Yeah. You're exactly right. To take insurance. Yeah. yeah. No, it's very true. I wrote a blog post on it. Um, To take insurance as a therapist is a, it's very challenging. You often have to hire somebody to do the billing because they, insurance companies will just give you the runaround nonstop and not pay and, oh, resubmit this claim even though you did everything right, blah, blah, blah. So it's just like, it's ridiculous. It's another full-time job to get paid from insurance companies. And then the pay is really bad, really bad. Um, so most therapists would prefer to be private pay and if they're really good, they get a lot of referrals and they, you know, they can be good for them. Right. So, right. So yeah, you have to be careful with insurance. Um, now I will say sometimes therapists who are just starting out in private practice are excellent and they just don't want to do all the marketing and whatnot. So they get on an insurance panel. That is rare though. It really is. So as nice as it is to use your in network benefits, most of the time you're going to get a subpar therapist and my insurance panel therapist will probably kill me for saying that, but it, you know, it, everyone has their own opinion on it. And yeah, no, absolutely. You're not listening to this. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, 
What, what would you be can a- use out of network benefits, which is an important thing to look at. If you have a PPO plan, you can choose somebody out of network and still get reimbursement sometimes. So that's, that's kind of the happy medium, right? You can, you, you can get some reimbursement, but you're not in network with somebody who might be subpar. Right. What would be a fair, I mean, and I know there's a range for everything, but for people who, who don't know what to expect or what to look for, for private therapists, um, you know, not who don't deal with insurance, mm-hmm. what, what's an average, you know, for somebody who's, you know, like somewhat pretty experienced, you know, knows what they're doing and, and seemingly good at it, what's a, a typical range or rate people should expect? So it varies hugely by location. Um, New York and LA are some of the more expensive places. So I think in those areas, like in New York, an average session is probably around 200, same with LA. Um, other parts of the country, it might be one to 100 to 150. Um, but you, I mean, you'll find people, lots of people who are really good charging around 300 a session. So it's, yeah, it's not cheap. And, and I guess what would be a, your biggest piece of advice for people looking and willing to maybe use an out of network or um, out of network or private pay therapist? How do they find them? Because most people, they just go to insurance because they have lists of people that they recommend the panels, right? Yeah. But if you're looking for maybe somebody a little bit better, how do you even go about finding that person? Um, I think Yelp is a great resource. People don't okay. always think to go to Yelp for um, medical stuff, but they, they're, they're there. <laughs> um, so Yelp, Googling, you know, couples therapists near me. And then it does take a lot of sifting. I really have so much compassion for how hard it is to find a good therapist. The process is grueling because you have to look through their website and make sure they have specialization and what you're looking for and training like advanced training and what you're looking for and you got to make sure it's a good personality fit you got to make sure you can afford it it is a huge commitment to find a therapist and it's it i think that's a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people is i don't even want to try it's just too hard um so yeah google yelp um ask friends and family if they have somebody that they can recommend that they've had a good experience with. Yeah. That's always a good start, right? The same for looking for an attorney. I tell people you can start with friends and family, but you know, don't end there. Um, Yeah. Be the beginning. Um, And yeah, I think finding a therapist, finding an attorney is very similar process for people. Um, It takes time, effort, but you don't want to pick the wrong one uh, because it'll just cost you more money and time in the long run. So exactly. yeah, take the time, put in the effort, because when you find that therapist like yourself and you're going to go through that hard journey, right, it's going to make, it's going to take time too. So you want to spend it wisely <laughs> with yeah. somebody, you, somebody you like and, um, you know, find effective. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, this was not how I thought the conversation was going to go, <laughs> I know. But, but I thought it was a good one. Me too. Right? I think it'll be helpful. It will be helpful. And if you're willing, we can do another one sometime on what we originally were going to do it on. <laughs> we, t- <laughs> we touched on it a little bit, but right. Sometimes you just get into something and, and you run with it, which is what I love to do. And it just felt natural. So I'm not upset. <laughs> I hope you're not upset. I'm not upset. Um, 
I'd love to have you on again and we could talk about more, you know, dealing from, uh, you know, how to heal from, you know, trauma uh, yeah. and, and, and broken relationships. That's so important. Um, we've established though that it'll probably take some time. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure. Where can people find you? I'm Couples Learn on All Things. So my website is coupleslearn.com. And we, I have a group practice. So there's three therapists currently um, working. We all work in the area of love and relationships. And we provide online therapy. So we can work with people anywhere. Um, and then Instagram, Couples Learn is my handle. Facebook, Couples Learn, all the things Couples Learn. Very consistent. I like yes. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's good for marketing. Yep. <laughs> Makes it easy. All right. And, and for those listening, I'll have all those links um, in the show notes um, so you can find them there. And Dr. Sarah, thank you so much again. I really enjoyed talking with you. You're welcome. Likewise. All right. Thank you to Dr. Sarah again for that great conversation. And I hope for all of you listening, uh, the one thing, if anything, that you get out of this episode was how important uh, and how mindful that we should all be uh, if you are in the middle or talking about divorce and there are children around, you know, those little ears, and sometimes not so little ears, uh, they really can pick up on things and uh, just try to be mindful of what you're saying in earshot of kids, how you communicate to the children about divorce, and make sure that they have the support that they, excuse me, that they deserve uh, while you and your spouse go through Uh, the divorce process, which, of course, is not easy on anyone, but can have uh, real uh, dramatic effects on children because they are not uh, as mature as as adults are supposed to be. And, um, you know, they don't understand uh, oftentimes all the dynamics and the subtleties about what is going on in the divorce process. So you do not want them to internalize things. And that's basically it. Just be mindful of where the kids are and what they are hearing regarding divorce. And of course, the importance of therapy, I can't understate it enough. Um, I mean, I can't overstate it enough how important therapy really is. So if you are getting divorced, you're having trouble with your attorney, you're not sure how to communicate, you're trying to keep your legal bills down, then consider getting a divorce coach on your team. And if you have any questions about my programs and my coaching services, just shoot me an email, jason at jasonlavoy.com, and I'll be happy to get right back to you. I'll even get on a short call with you to discuss how I may be able to help. Um, Also, tune in and subscribe to this podcast so you get all new episodes when they come out. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.